0: Testament. Uh, It's on page 933, if you want to follow in the Bibles in the chairs. I'm going to read from chapter 5, beginning at verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephapheth, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Micah, who wrote these words, was a simple uh, countryman. His writing is marked by a love for ordinary people, uh, people who are being exploited. And he writes as guided by God's spirit, uh, words of prophecy and promise. It's a a shorter book, it's not that well known, but it's got a couple of verses uh, that will be more familiar to some. Micah writes of what is God looking for from his people? What does he require of them? And he answers the question with these words. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. He writes of a day when one day the world will know peace. And he writes of the one who will bring that peace, uh, the Messiah, the promised one one who will be born uh, in Bethlehem, one who will come from uh, the smallest, uh, the weakest tribe, one who will be a king or a ruler, one whose fame will spread to the ends of the earth, one who will be known as great, one who will be the peace of his people. Christians see Jesus as the fulfillment of that prophecy. These words were written uh, 700 years before the birth of Christ. And at this Christmas season, we read again uh, the gospel stories, the nativity, the story of the birth of Jesus, born in a stable in Bethlehem. The story of his birth is the story of a God who brings peace. I'm going to think this morning just briefly about some of the different ways in which Jesus brings peace to a hurting world. Firstly, he brings peace between humanity and God. This world is not as it was intended to be. The Bible speaks of it as being in darkness, as being lost, as being fallen. Of uh, once being perfect, but now being corrupted. Of people being uh, estranged from the God who loves them very much. But the good news is that God does not abandon us in our darkness. He does not leave us uh, lost. But his light shines in that darkness. And he comes to seek and to save. We remember in this Christmas season... That one of the titles for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means the God who is with us. In the readings at our carol service this evening, uh, we'll read again of the birth of Jesus. And in one of those uh, readings from John's Gospel, it says he came and dwelt among us. Literally, he came and pitched his tent among us. The story of Christmas is the story of heaven embracing earth. The news of Jesus' birth is announced by angels to shepherds. And they say a child has been born. And this is a message of good news, of great joy for all people. Wise men will come and they'll bring gifts for the child. Gifts of gold, gifts of frankincense, gifts of myrrh, gold for a king, incense for a priest, Uh, myrrh for one who will suffer our reading speaks of one who will shepherd his people and Jesus said of himself I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep Jesus would speak of laying down his life in many different ways one time he spoke of it as a ransom uh, for many Another time he spoke of it as a sacrifice which is offered. He spoke in terms of reconciliation, of bringing back that which has been torn asunder. Jesus comes because he is God dwelling within us, with us, the perfect representation of the Father. God's ambassador to us, if you like. And what words does Jesus use to announce that God is close? Well, they're not words of war. In 1739, there was a war. It might not be a war that you've heard of. It was the War of Jenkins' Ear. It was a war caused by the Spanish upon the English. An English galleon, captained by Captain Jenkins, was at sea. And he was attacked by some uh, Spanish uh, naval ships. They opened fire on uh, Jenkins' uh, ship, and a battle ensued. Uh, Spanish soldiers boarded uh, his ship, and uh, fighting amongst the, uh, the sailors uh, followed. And Jenkins' ear was cut off. He managed to repel uh, the, 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 the um, soldiers. He managed to escape, and his wounded ship uh, limped back to England. Jenkins went to Parliament, and with him he had a jar, and in the jar he had a pickled ear. It was Jenkins' ear, and he held it up before Parliament and said, see what Spain has done to the crown. I was thinking over where I could use this as a visual illustration this morning, and all the thoughts that came to mind were quite gruesome and uh, involved wounding my children, so I thought you could just um, imagine it. The crown gathered together an armada and uh, a war with Spain ensued. It was a war that was to last for three years. And eventually, uh, peace would would come. And it was known as the War of Jenkins' Ear. And until quite recently, you could go to Parliament and you could ask to see uh, Jenkins' Ear. And it was still pickled uh, in a jar in Parliament's buildings. Parliament knew that a crime against one of uh, Her Majesty's captains was a crime against the king. And crimes, uh, uh, after, following after crimes is punishment. Jesus is more than a captain. Jesus is the king of kings, the lord of lords. Jesus is God with us, God among us. And Jesus is not just wounded, but Jesus is killed. He'll lie in a grave for three days, and then he will rise again. And what will his words be to a world that has crucified him? What will his words be to a world which is in darkness and has tried to put out the light? Well, his words are not the words of Jenkins. They're not words of war. Rather, they're words of peace. As you read through the gospel stories, you see that every time Jesus appears to his disciples, after he's died and rose again, every time he meets them, the words out of his mouth are words of peace. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. The great American preacher. Uh, Dwight Moody, an evangelist of the 19th century, once said, A great many people are trying to make peace with God, but that has already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it. When Jesus rose from the dead, that was a sign that the debt had been paid the punishment uh, met, the ransom received, the offering made, the sacrifice accepted. Nothing more for us to do but to avail ourselves of what Christ has done for us. Jesus brings peace. Peace between a hurting world and a God who loves it. But more than that, Jesus brings an experience of peace, a peace which passes understanding. Some of the final words of Jesus to his followers were these. My peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. I will be with you always. Always. It doesn't take long for you um, hanging around a church to discover that Christians face the same trials and tribulations as everybody else. Same hardships, same sufferings, uh, same illnesses, same disappointments, uh, same breakups. Yet there's one difference to how we experience them. When we experience them, we experience them knowing that we are not alone. We experience them knowing that he that is within us is greater than he that is in the world. We experience them knowing that although things seem out of control and that although things at times seem dark, he is with us and he's sovereign over all things and he's able to bring good out of all things. And that gives us peace. That gives us A deep, abiding peace. One writer puts it like this. Imagine you work in a place where you have a boss over your department. And imagine that that boss is not only a wise person, but he's also a good person. And not only that, he's also your best friend, your dearest friend, your closest confidant. That would make a difference to how you go about your job. That would make a difference to how you experience the workplace. Why? Well, first of all, you're not afraid of messing up. You're not afraid of making mistakes. You're not going about it worried or anxious. And not only that, if something goes awry, if something goes wrong, if something that happens that is strange or confusing, you don't need to panic. You say, well, I figure I'll find out from him what's going on. And I'll learn what's happening in due time. I know I'll be brought into the inside. I won't be marginalized. I won't be pushed to the edge. And so you can have a peace about your job. Why? Because you're in touch with the boss. Jesus is more than a boss. Uh, He's more than a friend. He's Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and he's in control. Paul puts it like this, in his letter to the church at Philippi. The Lord is near, so don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, by prayer with thanksgiving, make your request to God and the peace of God Which passes all understanding, this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He is our peace, He brings us peace, and thirdly and finally, He calls us to be peacemakers. Probably the most famous sermon of Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, a sermon which encapsulates um, his teaching, says uh, what he is about. And in that sermon, he says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. As Christians, we're to be people who uh, make peace who bring about uh, reconciliation, who bring estranged parties uh, together. One of my favourite stories of this uh, involves a monk, a monk who lived a long time ago in the 5th century, a monk called uh, Telemachus. Uh, He lived quite a quiet life in a monastery in a forest and um, he wanted before he died to see the great city of Rome. And so uh, he traveled there and he saw the great wonders, he saw the great sights, and he heard about the Colosseum. And he heard about the great uh, circuses that went on there. And his friends said to him, you can't go to the circus. You can't see what happens there, it's, it's awful, you'll hate it. Uh, but anyway, he went. And the day that he went was a day in the year 404 AD, 400 years after Jesus. There was a gladiatorial contest going on sat in the front row and he watched as the gladiators uh, came out he heard them as they uh, made the great cry of the gladiators at the start of every circus at the start of every contest we who are about to die salute you and then to his horror he watched as the the gladiatorial combats um, ensued he couldn't help himself and he began to cry out in the name of jesus stop In the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, stop. And the crowd were roaring and the the fighting was going on and gladiators were being uh, slain. In the end, he could could help himself uh, no longer. He jumps over the barrier and runs into the center of the Colosseum. And he keeps shouting, In the name of Jesus, stop. Things kind of quiet down a bit. And uh, one of the gladiators Uh, strikes him with the side of his sword. And the crowd laugh. And Telemachus carries on. In the name of Jesus, stop. Another gladiator uh, swipes him on the backside. And a little chase ensues as he runs around the Colosseum, uh, crying out the same thing. The gladiators uh, chasing him. And then things turn nasty. One of the gladiators uh, stabs him in the stomach. A stone is thrown uh, from the crowd. Before long, Telemachus is left lying uh, dead in the centre of the arena. A silence falls as everybody realise what has happened. The game ends. People walk away. The year of 404 AD is the date of the last game in the Colosseum, Uh, In Rome. It's the date of the last games, the last circuses in the Roman Empire. The Emperor Ponorius uh, heard what had happened and commanded that the games would cease. In the name of Jesus, the circuses stopped. It's not easy being a peacemaker. In fact, sometimes it's the hardest thing that we can imagine doing. But Jesus is a peacemaker. Jesus is the greatest peacemaker. And he invites all of us who follow him to be the same. Micah, 700 years before Jesus, wrote, He will be our peace. He wrote of his birth in Bethlehem, wrote of his uh, fame spreading throughout the earth, wrote of his greatness. His greatness is seen in how he unites heaven and earth through the stable and the cross. His greatness is seen in the peace that he gives to those who trust him, a peace which passes understanding, a peace that remains whatever our circumstances. Because whatever our circumstances, he is with us and will be with us always. And he who is our peace invites us to follow him in the way of peace as peacemakers. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, a gift we remember afresh every year at this Christmas time. We thank you that the light still shines in the darkness. And your peace is available to all who trust in you. Lord, help us to turn away from ourselves and turn to you. Help us to trust in you. May we experience afresh your grace and your peace. May we walk the way of peace and be a people of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hail that ever-blessed morn. Hail Redemption's happy dawn. Sing through all Jerusalem. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Uh, This will be our final song, our carol this morning. If you're looking for some more carols, we'll be uh, singing again tonight, seven o'clock, for our carols by Candlelight Service. Um, As we sing this carol this morning, we're going to take up our collection. Uh, The way that we do that, we just pass a bag along the row. If you're a visitor here this morning, please don't be embarrassed. Uh, If you're not prepared, don't worry, just pass uh, the bag on by. Let's stand and sing, See Amid the Winter's Snow.